this month because kids are going back to school and uh, that's kind of on our mind. We are, our theme is reaching the next generation. Our vision is that we are a church for generations, a, a church that every generation has a part and a place in. And so this month we are looking, taking time to look at kind of each generational uh, season and what is important to learn about that uh, season of life. And so today I'm charged with having a message specifically to help young adults or about young adults. Um, my husband and I have worked with, with youth up to young families for about 15 years now. And so uh, when I was asked to think of a message when considering the young adult season of life, like entering college, starting your career, even up to you know starting a family perhaps, Something that came to mind that we that that seems to come up often in this specific season is doubt. And it's even something Pastor Peter mentioned as one of his six points last week. And so today we're gonna look at doubt and how we can be a community of believers, a church community that can help uh, those who are going through a season of doubt. It, it's a very common season in young adult life to go through this, but doubt can hit us at any age, at any stage in life for different reasons. So... Let me clarify some topics, but for some, some categories before we begin, because there's different discussions needed for doubt. So, so there are unbelievers, and this is the person I would consider totally against faith, like not open to searching, has no interest, does not believe that there is uh, any spiritual element to life. That's an unbeliever. And then you have seekers, that's a really churchy term. But we you say that to mean there's people that are not believers, but they're open, they're searching. They're like, is there, is there more to life? Is there a spiritual element? Uh, what is objective truth? So that's someone we would call um, like a seeker. And then there are believers who have questions, believers who may have doubts. And so today we will be talking about this category, a believer who has questions. Uh, the, the other categories are just as important, but there's different approaches for that. And that goes more into evangelism and different things. And, and today we're talking about how to be a community that supports the different generations in our church and how to grow that community. And so we're gonna look at believers who have questions. So when I talk about doubt today and having questions, that's what I'm referencing. People who, yes, I believe in God, but, but I am wrestling through doubt. I'm wrestling through some hard questions. And so just to follow up, with that thought, there is a difference in scripture between doubt and unbelief. And I think it's important to define that and just to mention that because there has been, I think historically, a lot of shame attached to the idea of being a Christian who has doubts. It maybe feels like kind of embarrassing, like oh, maybe they think I'm in sin because I ha I'm wrestling with this doubt or, or these questions or Maybe it just makes me look like a really bad question, a Christian because I don't know, you know, I'm not certain in this area. So, so my hope today is that, that if there is any shame connected to this idea of doubt and this reality that having times of doubt and wrestling through difficulties and through hard questions, that is gonna be a part of the Christian walk. And so my, my goal today, my prayer today is that any shame you may have felt connected to that is removed. Okay, because that, this is an important part of us being a community that can help young adults, teens, youth, people of any age grow in their faith when they enter the world, when they go into college and are confronted with their faith uh, more directly probably than they have yet. 
And when they're starting their careers and, and difficulties of life happen and having to pay bills and, and family members pass away, these are the times when, when your faith is really challenged, when doubt can come in. So just to, to say quickly, doubt in the New Testament, that's the Greek word for doubt in the New Testament, and it means two, double, shifting between positions, wavering. And I just put some references there. We're not going to go into those, but just so you have them. We see doubt in the New Testament. Uh, this Matthew reference is when Peter steps out onto the water to go meet Jesus and he sinks and Jesus is like, why did you doubt? And then the Mark reference is when the disciples are in the boat, a boat with him and there's a bad storm and they wake Jesus up because they're freaking out and they're like, you don't even care that we could die. And Jesus is like, whoa, you don't trust me. You still have so much doubt. And so there are many more places in the New Testament that we see the disciples who were with Jesus witnessing the miracles he was doing, and even they had times of doubt. Okay, so let's remove any shame, any stigma that you may feel going through seasons or having things where you're like, I feel uncertain. I feel of two minds on this issue. To doubt means you're, you're shifting between. It's like you have your feet in, in two different canoes, and it's like, I know God is good, but, but how do I make sense of all the suffering I see? I know that he'll follow through, but what about, it's a, it's a shifting back and forth where then you have unbelief in the New Testament, uh, that Greek word there, and unbelief means without divine persuasion. It means you do, there, you do not believe there's any type of spiritual life happening, unfaithful, distrustful. And there's references, of course, to that too. One of those being that there was a town that Jesus just left early because it says he couldn't do many miracles there because the people just didn't believe. There was just like, no belief for any kind of spiritual life. And so there is a difference there. So as we talk about doubts today and questioning, what does doubt look like? Maybe you're thinking like, well, what, is, what does she mean by doubt? It could be many things. It could be having difficulty uh, understanding some things in the Bible. Like, man, there is a lot of violence in the Old Testament. That, that's really hard for me to make sense of. What does that mean? How can the violence in the Old Testament, how does that match up with the Jesus I see in the New Testament? That's confusing to me. Uh, so maybe it's something about the Bible. Why are there so many rules about sexuality? Why is that? Why, why are there any rules about that? Why can't we just follow our heart and, and what feels right? Or maybe some of your doubt comes from, you know, the character of God. We were singing, great are you, Lord. God is great. We see that in scriptures. We know that he is good. He is perfect. But maybe there's times you're like, okay, I know that God is good. The scripture says he is good, but I don't feel like he's very good to me right now. I don't see that, so I'm struggling to believe. I have some doubt, I'm wavering in this. Okay, God, yes, you're good, but why is this stuff happening to me? Can I be healed? Can my mind really be renewed? Can I really get rid of some of these thoughts that have plagued me for years? What if, what if I'm same-sex attracted? What does that mean for me? Does that mean I don't love Jesus enough? Does that mean I can't be a Christian? What do I do with same-sex attraction? So there's all kinds of areas that you may have um, what, what scripture, what Christians would consider a doubt, a question, a difficulty. And so today, we're, I'm just going to give a few do's and don'ts, really try to make it as simple as possible um, for us to come to an understanding and to know how to support each other when we go through doubt, and for you to know when you go through times of doubt, um, what's helpful and what's hurtful. Because there's a way to go through doubt that, in, 
that your faith comes out stronger and deeper and you know more fully what you believe and trust in the Lord. And then there's a way that we can doubt that's harmful to our faith that will actually could, could move us towards totally rejecting the faith and walking away. So I have some simple do's and don'ts. Who here wants to hear the do's first? Who's like, let's start positive. Uh, no hands. Who wants to start with the don'ts? Man, this is like a gritty crowd. <laughs> Just like, let's get, that's what I would do with school. Get the worst homework over with first and then work your way down to easier. Okay, well, surprise, they're together. I just, I just, I just really wanted to see what, what, what's up with you guys. Okay, so we have them together. I just really came up with two different ways of saying the same thing. But, uh, so for those that like an optimistic spin and those who like the more pessimistic spin. Okay, first one, do ask hard questions. Don't keep doubt a secret. It's the first thing we're going to explore. It is important to ask hard questions. And maybe you're like, yeah, duh. But this isn't a duh because I think there, there are many people, although this should ideally be done in the beginning of your faith as part of, like, for some people coming to faith is a very intellectual pursuit. And they do that, that, that study and that deep dive of thought. But for other people, for many other people, getting saved was more, was a different kind of experience. It wasn't necessarily uh, just that kind of pursuit. It was that you connected to the God of truth, to the spirit of truth. You had an experience. You witnessed something. The people in your life had such an impact on you that you connected with God and maybe have not, maybe never stopped to do actually a deep dive to ask the hard questions that we should. So I just wanna say right now, we should be asking hard questions to make sure we understand what's in the Bible, what does it mean, what's the context, hard questions about culture, all those things. And if you do this more towards the beginning of your faith journey, it, you know, maybe doubt doesn't come up as much later. I don't know. But if, if you don't, then it's definitely, there's going to be seasons that maybe rock you or make you uh, kind of think, well, gosh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't actually know um, why, why this is something I can't participate in or, or why the Bible says that. We're supposed to ask hard questions, but the tendency that we have when we have a doubt that arises or a hard question that comes up, the tendency is to go inward and to get really private about it and to kind of just be like, yeah, I just kind of want to process this on my own um, and I don't really want to talk about it. And I don't know if it's because we feel shame about it or because we're afraid we're going to look like we don't know stuff or people are going to worry, they're going to think I'm you know, backsliding. I don't know why we do this, but there is a tendency to kind of keep doubt a secret or we're ashamed of being rejected because maybe I'm wrestling with something that I think people aren't going to you know, accept me for. But this should not be. We need to ask hard questions. We need to be open about it. And we need to bring your community in on this. Your pastors, your small group leaders, your friends in the Lord. Because Christianity is a community faith. It says that we're supposed to confess to one another, encourage one another, share our resources with one another. And so when we have doubts and hard questions, we, are not, we shouldn't go inward and keep it a secret. Because scripture says, not only can other people deceive us, but we can even deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves and get so lost in our own thoughts. So it's important to ask hard questions, research, but bring the church community in on that to help you through that process. All right, the next one. We're gonna spend the most time on this point. Uh, there's just three. Do be Bible literate. Don't, as a community, we have to stop giving trite responses. 
I think that there's a lack of deep conversations about faith in, in maybe the young adult you know, arena because there's just a, a biblical illiteracy that we have. We don't really know the Bible well. We're not really studying the Bible well. Now, I know there's exceptions to this rule, so please, if you're like, what, are you kidding me? If you are studied, awesome, amazing. Let's all catch up to that. But I was listening to a talk by someone the other day, I can't remember who, it was just like a conversation uh, on a podcast, and this woman was saying that this generation coming up is possibly the most biblically illiterate generation we've had. They just know so little, very little about the Bible. There's not as much of like, I went to church with grandma. You know, I haven't really been a Christian, but grandma took me to church and always read the Bible to me at night, that that is happening less and less. And so this generation really knows so little about the Bible, not just not even to mention context, that's a whole different thing, but actually knowing anything about the Bible. Uh, this is important to us. This is important in, in a, when considering doubt is that we know what scripture says and we understand it. Because like I said, under the first point, there are many of us who came to faith maybe not because of this deep intellectual, architectural, historical research, but it was more of an experience and we were drawn to the community and the family feel and the worship and the resources and the helping. It's just like, oh, it's such a great feel. But if you never um, actually study the word and know what scripture says and know context and hermeneutics and, and the whole story from start to finish, then when you enter a season of life where you're being confronted more, when life just kicks your teeth in because difficulty comes, you're gonna be like, where's, where's that feeling? Where's that feeling I had when I, was, when I was young and a Christian that just felt so good and we were all agreeing and doing the same thing? Now this kind of feels empty. Feels like the floor's falling out because I don't really understand why I'm going through such hard things if God says he's good. I don't really know why I have to be the outlier at my work. Uh, you know, why can't I just jump on board with everything? So it's important that we study the word. I know that's so simple, but it's so important. There's, that's just really is something we are losing. People just knowing scripture, studying the word, making that a part of your discipline of faith. And so to, um, to kind of explore this a little bit about how maybe the church community has contributed to doubt or hasn't helped. Doubt is rarely, it, it happens sometimes, but it's rarely as straightforward as someone coming to you and being like, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. Will you help me? It's rarely, people are rarely that honest. I mean, I want us to get there. That's what my hope is today. But it doesn't really happen like that as, as much. And so I want us to try to think about doubt in a different way. Because if someone came to you and was like, I'm struggling in this area, you, I don't know anyone in here that would be like, nah, I'm not gonna help you. You'll figure it out. Right, so when we are critiquing the church, not just this church, but the church at large, when we're saying that the church as a whole uh, has maybe uh, failed a little bit or, or not been as great as we can in this area of doubt, it's not because we're like just purposely not helping people and refusing to talk about doubt. It looks more something like this, that over the years, for many, many years, we've had really poor and embarrassing answers to questions people are asking or really bad, poor responses when people go through difficult times. And let me, give, let, me, let me talk this through and give you an example of what I mean. 
this is something, I, I have lots of examples I could say, but I'm just trying to pick something that seems, uh, this is what I've picked. I have heard this said live, in live conversation several times. So we were at a funeral or someone had passed and people don't really know what to say in that moment. And so I've heard it said many times, well, God just needed another angel as a response to this person who'd lost someone. Now, if you've said that, I am not trying to shame you or make you feel embarrassed. I understand it is difficult to know what to say in hard moments, but I want to use this as a, as a learning opportunity, as an example of what I'm trying to say. Let's just examine that statement for a second. You, it was, it said in a well-meaning way, you know, as something to try to bring comfort. But one, it's not really that comforting. And two, it's just bad theology. It's bad theology. God is not, when, isn't like needing more angels. He's like, okay, I gotta take someone from earth. Okay, it's your time, buddy. Yeah, you come up because I need another angel. He's not doing that. That's not why people die on this earth. And number two, humans and angels are totally different creations that they, have, they were created for different purposes. And so, you know, you might be sitting here and be like, what does this have to do with doubt? Why are you just critiquing, you know, what bad things I've said over the years? Or... It does have something to do with doubt because it's these moments that are important in our community and the people around us. The Bible says to be ready in season and out. And so when difficult things happen or when someone is struggling or when someone's hurt or something hard has happened, that is our moment to really be the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we do things and we act in a way or we say things that do not line up with scripture and it's bad theology, that is the soil for doubt to grow in. Now, maybe you think like, gosh, you're, you're putting so much pressure on us. Now I'm not gonna say anything ever because I don't wanna be the reason. I'm not trying to blame us or make us feel bad or like come down on you, but I just want to make this point. It was a big deal when Jesus ascended after rising from the dead and he ascended to heaven and he left the church to us. And he said, you are the church. You are my representation. You are my hands. You are my feet. And so when we have these moments and we miss them, that's what he has us here to do. And so I'm not trying to shame anyone or slam anyone. I have said wrong things. I have not known what to say. There's, but there's like this attitude towards scripture, towards church, towards like, meh, you know, like, oh, someone else will do it. That is our job. Ephesians says that pastors and preachers and ministers are to equip the saints to do ministry. It's to equip you, I mean, we are a part of that, but there can be this attitude like, well, someone else will do it, that's someone else's job. It is your job as a believer to be the ministers to this community and to the world. And so when we're not prepared, then we miss the opportunity. Second Timothy, this is the scripture we're kind of looking at today, four, one through two. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
You know, when I was younger, I would read this and I'm like, we gotta be prepared because there's gonna be like a moment like at school where the Holy Spirit's gonna come down and I'm gonna have to stand up and I'm gonna have to preach a sermon and everyone's gonna get saved. And like I had this idea of what it, like be prepared. There's gonna be a moment, but it's not. It's these small moments where people are hurting, where they're discouraged, where they're confused, that you are right there to say, you know what, I'm here with you. <laughs> Let's study the word. Let's be encouraged together um, and not just give... Um, responses that don't have any meaning. Okay. The last one of our do's and don'ts. Do be painfully honest with yourself. Don't confuse doubt with desiring sin. I'm going to try to do this point quickly, but I want to do it carefully because I I don't want to be misunderstood. I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear on this. There is a difference between being a believer with questions, a believer who's doubting, and then there is just the desire that I have to sin. (laughs) There are times where I just want to sin. I want to do something that uh, is selfish. I want to do something that makes me feel good. And so my... We have to be painfully honest with ourselves, with myself, when I'm in a moment that's struggling and I'm like, it's easy to call something doubt that is just me wanting to pursue a life that's different than Christianity. And I'm saying it has to be you to be painfully honest, to, 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 to consider that. What, are you, what am I pretending not to know? Because <laughs> there's often something I'm doing, that's just a question I love to ask myself and, and our lead. What am I pretending not to know? Am I calling something doubt that it's really just me wrestling with something because I want to pursue this thing over here that I know doesn't line up with scripture. So now let me think, is this really what scripture says? Is this really what this interpretation means? Is there any form of faith that I can like find where this thing is okay? And that is kind of how this deconstruction process happens, which is something that's a common theme in our culture where people who were raised in church and then they kind of come out where they say they come out of the fog, you know, the, the, the religious fog. And it's like, I'm coming alive to realize the things that, you know, it just didn't fit for me and feel so good to be pursuing. Okay, well, it, it does feel good to pursue self. It, it does, that does feel good. And so I have to be careful. I have to be honest. Am I, am, I, am I just wrestling with a doubt, which is going to happen? Am I wrestling through hard questions? Or is there something in me that just wants something that I can't have? And so now I'm going to try to find an angle, a community that's going to find a way to agree with me for that thing. And that's something that takes prayer and you really being honest about that. N.T. Wright is a, is a scholar. He's considered one of the uh, just experts on the resurrection and he... he and other various titles. And he had a talk, and I cannot find it, so if I'm misquoting him, please forgive me. It was something he said. It wasn't something in a book, and I couldn't find it this week. He said something to the effect of, of all his colleagues who are, you know, scholars, intelligent people that are experts in this field. He said, of all my scholars who have deconstructed and left the faith, all my scholar friends, he said, not one of them left the faith because of an intellectual issue. Not one of them. He said, everyone left because of a sexual sin. And that began their deconstruction journey. And so I just, I just want to throw that out there, not as like, a, oh, if you have doubts, you're probably sinning. No, 
No, doubt is a part of our faith, but there's a time where I have to be painfully honest and say, okay, is what I'm wrestling with just me and I'm wanting to pursue me? And then, then that's another question too. Like, am I in this faith? Do I believe this is the way that, that everything in me that I want to, has to die to that, come second to Jesus? Or has this, you know, or is this not what my life is gonna be formed around? So let's just finish those couple verses in 2 Timothy to complete this thought. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and said to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Okay, so I'm just gonna uh, say, do one last thing that's quick tips for, for parents or mentors. If, you, if you're a parent of a, of a young adult, someone who's now you know adult and going off in the world or is in the world, or if, you're, if you mentor this age group, here's just three really quick things um, that I'm not gonna expand on too much. But one thing that I've found, or these three things I've found helpful with working with this age group of parents who are really good at this, one is consider your responses to culture or to anything that goes on. So when you, your children are watching from a young age to even still as adults, and when they see you respond with compassion to things that you don't, just don't agree with, it makes it easier to talk to you about stuff I may be struggling with. Now, it is still my responsibility. If, I need, if I'm wrestling with something, or if I'm, I'm struggling, I'm wrestling, of course, that, that, own, that is on me, to be honest. But it does not help make it any easier to do something that's already hard to do, to bring up something I'm struggling with or wrestling with or confused about or you know, maybe caught in a sin and I don't know how to get out. It's gonna make it that much harder to be honest with my mentor or my parent if I've watched them over the years when someone else has messed up and be like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. Or how embarrassing. How could they be so dumb? Why do they think that issue is important? Whatever. They're watching this. And it's like a mental note like, okay, well, if I'm in that situation, then I, this, this is making it even harder to be honest with you versus if they have watched you and observed you respond with compassion to the difficulty and sin and other things. Not, not doesn't mean you have to act like you're okay with it, but how you respond in those situations, how you talk about other people who are struggling, make you a safer person to open up to. Okay, secondly, critical thinking versus directives. That, you know, that, I know we all know this, but there's a switch. When you're not under their roof, it, it goes from like, hey, you've gotta do this, you need to do that, and it switches. Your adult children don't have to listen to you. They, they can be like, no, you know, because they live somewhere else and they, so you know, the sooner you can start, as, as your child approaches that age, or if there are, the sooner you can switch from, from learning to communicate the directives to critical thinking, helping them learn critical thinking, it's so helpful to them because it's not just now, what, yes or no, do I do this, yes or no? Okay, well, let's talk about that. That's an interesting idea that you're thinking of, you know, shaving your head and living in your van for a year. Hmm, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, you know, have, have, have you thought about how you'll make money? Tell me your thoughts on that. You know, it, and it's a skill to learn how to speak and ask questions in a critical thinking type of way, still guiding them. You know, will you, are you open to hearing, you know, my thoughts on, you know, where, where I see that going in two years? It, it's a different way of speaking, but you've got to learn that skill <laughs> as a mentor and as a parent, because just being like, I don't think you should do that. Cool, see ya. 
And last thing, you gotta stop complaining about church if, if this is something you do. Because it's like you want your child to, to come alive in this community and for this to still be important when they go off in the world. But then when you're like, I can't stand Susie or why'd they have her up there again? Or why'd they pick that topic? It's like the way you speak about the thing you're hoping they'll fall in love with, it, it matters, okay? So, all right. That was an awkward like, uh, we don't, uh. okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close with this uh, story and this thought. When I, what, who remembers, who was here in the 90s and you went to Wet n Wild or Watermania? Yeah, boy, okay, that was the happening place. Now it's Aquatica or Volcano Bay. But back in the Disney, it was Wet n Wild and Watermania. And so, I was, you know, I don't know, maybe eight years old or so. And who remembers the black hole at Wet n Wild? Yeah, okay, type in that chat book, chat book, chat box if you remember the black hole. Okay, the black hole was a ride that the, stair, the stairway getting up to it, I mean, for any, I guess, water ride, is like this big spiral. And then it was literally just as it sounds, it was a black tube that was pitch black. And the, and the only clue you had of where you were going were these neon stickers. Remember that? That it would be like beep, beep, and you'd be like, whoo, you know? And it's just like so disorienting because you're in the pitch black except for these neon things. Okay, so I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try this ride. And I did not like rides when I was little because I was afraid I would throw up. And my biggest fear still to this day is vomiting. So. <laughs> You know, I would like the idea of a ride, but I was like, it might make me puke. So then I didn't do rides. So anyway, I would, I would hassle my older siblings and be like, are there any big drops? Because that feeling of your stomach going up, I thought that meant I was going to puke. I didn't know that that was not necessarily the same thing. And so they're like, no, there's no big drops. It's just, da, da, da. so my oldest sister, Crystal, is like, I'll go with it, you, because it was a double. You know, at the water parks, you got the single rides and the double tubes where you have to have two people. And this was a double tube. So we wait, you know, an hour, at least, you know, in the summer, it's an hour line getting up there. You've got this double tube and you're all on this, you know, small staircase, slowly, you know, going to your impending doom. And so I'm like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And then if you're the smaller one, I would excuse my older sister, they make the smaller one go in the front. And so then I'm standing and literally looking into a black abyss of doom. And so I'm just like, it's pitch black, there's water rushing in and I'm like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. So let's take a vote in the room. What do you think Crystal did? Okay, choose your own adventure story, let's see. Okay, well here, it's a plot twist because she did not kick me down at tube. She said, okay, Adeline. And she walked all the way back down. In, I know, this is sweet. That's the difference between an older sister and an older brother. <laughs> an older brother would be like, kicked out, and he'd be like, I hope he pukes. You know, the older brother would be laughing their head off. It's a blessing to have an older sister. She walked all the way down after waiting over an hour with me. Did not get to ride the ride, but she did not make fun of me. She did not make me feel bad, and she did not force me to go on it. Now, you may be sitting here like, well, she should have, because then you would have realized you loved it. Yeah, maybe I would have realized I liked it, but I also would not have trusted her again in the future if I'm like, tell me what it's going to be like. She walked all the way down, and on the way down, every boy was teasing me. The poor little baby. Wah. And like, it's already a tight squeeze going up, and we had to walk down, and now squeeze past every, I mean, it was just a nightmare. It was humiliating. But you know what? She 
did it make me do it? She said, okay, if you're scared, I'll walk back down with you. And she did not get to ride that ride. And so I bring this story up to say, we need to be merciful when people are doubting. When they're looking into the black hole of something in their life, it's like, I don't really understand this doctrine. I don't really understand how God's gonna get me through this. I don't really understand why I'm going through this. I don't understand why the Bible says this. Scripture instructs us to have mercy on those who doubt. And so I just wanna say today that if you are someone who's been wrestling with questions or doubt or difficulty, the church community is a safe place to, to talk about those things. And we're not just gonna kick you down the black hole slide and be like, ah, you'll get over it. You'll figure it out. Christ will come through in the end. We need to respond with compassion and patience, deep thinking, deep conversation. And you need to study to help people through that. Unstudied Christians are creating more doubting Christians. And I'm not saying you're gonna know that. I don't know the answer to everything. And there's many times someone comes to me and it's like, I don't understand this. I'm like, me either. Let's meet for coffee. Let's take some time to study. Let's pull someone else in and let's think through this. Let's research. Let's figure out the answer to this. But let's not just be lackadaisical about our faith and, and study and seriousness so that we don't come through in these moments that are important to help people. And instead we're sowing more seeds of doubt because we're just like, I don't know, you'll get through it and have Pastor Peter come out and close us in prayer. I asked him to do the prayer today. Father, we, we want to be honest that we, we, we are all doubters here. We're not greater than the disciples. We've all doubted and we probably still do have these doubts. But I think as a father, you love to hear our hearts, even our doubts. And I pray that you would give us a greater confidence to be wide open and honest with you. Because there's nothing better than when the father just gets to hear the child's heart and that we would have the confidence to be able to rest in your arms, to be like children with you and say, you know, I got a question. I just don't get this and it's troubling me. And I pray that you would help us to have such strong relationships between each other that we can give each other the permission to speak our hearts without being crushed by one another. Help us to be the body. Help us to be the hands and the feet of Christ as he has asked us to be. And we ask as we walk out today that you'd fill us with your spirit. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. <laughs>